Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome back to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, a special edition once again via Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa as we look ahead to Dakar 2019. It's the eve, for us anyway, of the Dakar Rally. Uh, we just had a very nice meal. We went to the ceremonial start a little earlier this evening here in Lima, Peru, uh, before Stage 1 takes uh, to the dunes of uh, Peru. With me once again, Voldu van der Waal and Hannes Fisser. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, gents. Uh, we're sitting here in Voldu's hotel room. Thanks very much, Voldu. Very kind of you. It's only because the air corner works best in mine, but welcome. And uh, yeah, a nice dinner. It's uh, a nice relaxed start, Hannes. I mean, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. We know how hairy the Dakar rally does get covering it from a media perspective. Uh, but so far, it's been pretty plain sailing. Touch wood, because we know that can change in a heartbeat. Well, this is the, the so-called calm before the storm. We all know that. But now that we've seen the start and the, the official podium ceremony happening, now we know that it's about go time. So uh, I think we're all getting ready. And uh, sitting uh, in your hotel room, uh, Voldy, I, I must say, this place that we're staying in, from my experiences, I've done a couple of Dakar rallies, you've done a few more. Uh, I don't recall staying in a better hotel room than where we are at the moment, uh, the Hilton Doubletree. Well, uh, the problem with this is that, of course, it won't last. Um, we all know that it's, it's really lovely here in, in Miraflores, downtown Lima. <laughs> but tomorrow morning, first thing, we have to head out. And from there, it's... It's downhill as we go down this down the coastline. Uh, my hotel room's uh, a little bigger than yours, but uh, equally nice. Uh, Anis, yours not so much. No, I seem to have uh, got the short end of the stick here. My aircon's not working, which is why I'm sitting in this hotel room at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Valdi, quickly, uh, you're busy typing up the, the preview for Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, uh, the press release, uh, so you know a lot about it, but... Uh, Tomorrow, stage one, what can we expect? Well, stage one is going to be a very short, sharp introduction to the Dakar. Not, not quite as short as we've seen in the past. It's not really a prologue like we've had in past years. It is a proper stage, but it's only around 85 kilometers in length. Um, and it is preceded by a liaison, as it's called, when you get from the start bivouac to the start of the stage of around 220-odd kilometers um, the stage itself is set to be run only on dunes. So it's 85 kilometers of massive dunes. And um, having spoken to a couple of the drivers about it this evening, none of them are taking it uh, with kid gloves. This is a, considered a proper first stage. And speaking of speaking to drivers, uh, after dinner we got in the elevator and uh, we we're joined by none other than Mr. Dakar, Stefan Pederhansel, Hannes. Well, Stefan Berhansel, as we all know, he's won this race more times than anyone else on two wheels, on four wheels. There's nothing about the dunes that he doesn't know. And he seemed quite excited about the fact that it is only on dunes. Obviously, um, he, he's very at home on them. and uh, But he also said that he's expecting a tough fight uh, with the likes of Nasser and Janil and so on. So uh, if he says that, I think we can be pretty sure that it is going to be a tough fight. So at least Berhansel knows that he'll have to bring his A game. Yeah, certainly so. But you, you brought it up. I mean, as soon as you got into the lift, you went to him and you said to him, listen, what's the story? Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa expecting a challenge from him. And uh, the, the one name, I mean, he said that they were going to be competitive, but 
Nasser Latia, he said he is extremely fast. Well, we all know how fast Nasser is, and, and, and the good thing is he also knows it. So as long as that plays a trick to the you know in the back of his mind, then um, you never know what's going to happen. So he's confident he is Mr. Dakar, but I think everyone in the world, including Mr. Dakar himself, knows how fast Nasser can be in the deep. Of course, the other thing is that Nasser grew up in the sand, um, literally. I mean, as a Qatari, that, that was his playground from being a little youngster all the way to learning to drive a car. And that's that's where he learned to race. So, I mean, this plays into his hands as well. And, and Janil told us um, that the dunes are different in each country. But even so, I think there are very few people that can read dunes the way that, uh, that Nasser can. Quite a cool ceremonial start. I mean, we've seen quite a few of them. Uh, Lima really coming out in their numbers to, to support the Dakar Rally. 100% Peru this time around, so no crossing borders. Uh, nice support out there. It does tend to go on. And on and on, especially if you're just there to see a couple of drivers. In our case, we're there to see the likes of Janiel Bernard and Brinker and NASA and the co-drivers, etc. Uh, but yeah, nice to see the the city coming to a standstill, so to speak. Yeah, it's always good to see support for for the race. And even though the Dakars visited uh, Peru in the past, you know this year it really is their event. Like you say, it's 100% Peru, and I think the people are rallying behind it in a much bigger way than they would have if they were just cheering in, in the, the route like they have in the past. Now, Valdu, 2014, you and I covered our first Dakar rally together. And I'll never forget stage one. There was a guy who took part in his first ever Dakar rally. Waypoint one, he was the quickest out of everyone. And I remember the Dakar rally website they had his name up as the headline, saying he was quickest at WP1. Shocked everyone. Not us, though, given the fact that we knew the background. Derek, can I quickly interrupt you? Of course you can. That was uh, 20, 2014. I wasn't here. I was, I was, my first Dakar was 2012, and I did another one in 2013. So 2014, I stayed at home. But I actually made money on exactly uh, the situation that you're describing because I said beforehand that this certain person will be leading the Dakar at some stage. And at checkpoint one, stage one, he was in fact leading the Dakar. So I know exactly who you're talking about, but please go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, you can just extend on that, uh, Valdo. I mean, you knew that while the world didn't quite know it yet, that we expected to see his name up in lights and uh, it was quicker than, than we anticipated, I suppose. Yeah, the, the thing about the Dakar is that it's, n- it's not an easy race that much we know. It's probably the toughest automotive race in the world. But... To come here and, and set the pace in your first appearance is, is basically unheard of. And, and, and then later, obviously, we learned that it wasn't just a flash in the pan. But, but for someone to rock up here and set the pace, set the bar so high so quickly, certainly made everybody sit up and take notice. Derek, just get on with it. Just introduce the man. Okay, yeah. It doesn't take too much working out if you've been a regular follower of the Dakar Rally or, or the Trotter Zoo Racing South Africa team in general. But uh, the man we are talking about is Leroy Poulter. Uh, he's done a couple of Dakar rallies, uh, unfortunately, back in South Africa at the moment. But we are very fortunate in that he is joining us on the line. And it's taken a bit of commitment from his side because uh, the time differences mean that he's waking up at around 5 a.m., to join us, Leroy Poulter, good evening from our side, good morning from your side. It's a privilege to, to have you on the line. Yeah, guys, thanks. Um, great to chat to you guys again. Um, different, yeah, really nice and cool. So uh, enjoying it compared to the heat. Yeah, I, I'm sure you are. I mean, I, I won't speak about the fact that it, it must, of course, be disappointing 
having to view the race as a spectator. But uh, just looking back at fond memories from that 2014 uh, event, your first ever Dakar rally. And yeah, at Waypoint 1, on stage one, you were the quickest driver of the lot. Uh, you must look back at that with uh, much fondness. Yeah, definitely. I think um, going to the race, everyone said it was the toughest race. And for myself, uh, as you say, leading to Waypoint 1, I thought, you know, what are the guys talking about? This is this is easy. And um, then I realized after that, it just got more difficult. And then, as you say, the dunes come. And uh, now you know you need some experience. And, you know, the guys like Carlos Sainz that have done it 15 times and that definitely starts showing their true colors. Uh, Leroy, obviously, um, having watched it from the from the sidelines, it was clear quite early on that um, your seeding is probably the most important thing when you come to the Dakar. And as a new driver, you don't have one. So you, you start racing as an unseeded driver. Maybe you can just explain to the listeners what, what does that mean, actually? Yeah, I think the first year we were, I, know, I think, number car number 327. And basically, that's where you start on the road. So you, we were what, 27th or 28th on the road. And the biggest thing is the dust. You know, you catch all the slower cars in front of you and you just can't pass them because you cannot see. So it becomes a big problem where you you hit things in the road and, uh, you know, you normally take a front wheel off, which then costs you more time. And the very next day you start further back. So uh, I think my problem was uh, trying to push too hard and uh, it always hurt me. So every year it got easier. You know, to once your seating gets further up, you, it gets easier to race. Leroy, so sometimes it's an advantage to be to be uh, further back because you don't want to be opening up the road and and and, and the, the person you know laying the tracks. But you also don't want to be that far behind. So I mean, it's quite difficult to find the balance. But of course, if you're a, a rookie, you don't have much of a say in it. You have to uh, drive for position. Yeah, I think it definitely, as you said, is like that. You don't want to open the road. I think uh, five six is the the way you want to be because you've got all the quick guys around you. But uh, I think when you after fifteen, you you got a big problem. I think what they've brought into the the series now, uh, I think it's twenty fifteen, is you've got a qualifier, which makes a big difference, uh, especially for the the quicker drivers get into the top ten straight away, and uh, especially for this year, I think it's it's quite nice going into the dunes. Um, which is wide open, and the dust, there'll be nothing. Leroy, talk us through that first experience of uh, Dakar 2014. I mean, you're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. As you mentioned, everyone was talking about how tough it was going to be, uh, yet you set the pace. It, it, it understandably got harder after that. But we're speaking a few days ago with, with some of the drivers here, and Voldu made a good point in that the motion sickness inside of the car, it certainly takes a lot of experience from drivers to be able to deal with it on a continuous basis over the length of time that the Dakar Rally provides. And that's why you don't see too many youngsters doing as well as the, the older the older foxes, uh, so to speak. And, I mean, at that time, you were, what, you were I think, around 33. Um, was it all you expected and more? And, and did it get that much tougher? No, definitely. It's 100% true what you're saying. Uh, you know, the the first part of the stage is, as you say, we were in the front and all the guys said to us that if there's a helicopter flying around you in the beginning of the race, you're doing really well. And that's basically what it was. You know, I knew we were in the top five. 
And uh, as the race got on, as you say, it just got more and more difficult in the dunes, which um, it's, we do a lot of testing in the dunes, but it's, you know, you go up and down and you you can see the car can climb. But once you're in the race, you know, getting to waypoints and uh, understanding the dunes, a lot of nerves from your side come in. And uh, that's when guys get sick, you know, because you, you're you not really prepared. You know, you haven't done enough mileage in the dunes. And a guy, like you said earlier, NASA, he lives in the dunes every day. He's telling us, uh, he goes out, comes home and goes in the dunes, you know, does hours and hours in it. So you can see he's really strong in it. And a bit of Hansel as well, you know, every day. He's in the dunes every race he starts. You know, he comes out. If he can't race, he gets in his side-by-side and with his wife and does the race in the dunes. Leroy, just on a different note, um, we saw today during the uh, the uh, opening ceremony and so on that these guys, Peter Hansel, Carlos Sainz, Nasser, these guys are real superstars. You know, they, they, they're getting swarmed by the local fans and so on. And were you, when you got to your first Dakar, were you at all intimidated by the fact that you are now racing these legends and these big names and so on? I mean, I don't think people realize that, uh, you know, us South Africans are that competitive that we can be on the same stage as, as these superstars. No, look, here, 100%. You know, especially a, a low you know, he's, he's probably one of my uh, favorites and a guy to look up to, um, as in being a strong uh, nine times world champion in rallying and uh, racing with him and, you know, being in front of him made, uh, you know, made me feel a lot better and then realized that, um, you know, all these guys around you, like a Carlos Sainz and, uh, you know, Anessa have won this event and I just saw how good they are as drivers, you know, but to be around them, as you say, it's just amazing. You know, they stand out as real, um, you know, real, real big guys. I also remember being with you in Morocco one or two occasions when Loeb just started this game and uh, and you managed to beat him twice. I mean, that must have been quite a feeling. Yeah, look, obviously Loeb was, was fast and it was quite, uh, it was enjoyable to beat a guy like that in a rally stage. You know, I remember my last Dakar, we, we did a stage which was, I think, 280 kilometers long. And we... You know, just to give you an example, we did three and a half thousand gear changes in that in that stage, and we got to the end, and we were ahead of uh, of Loeb in a rally stage, and it just showed, you know, Loeb, and it was I think it was Hervinen, and it was really nice to beat those guys in their own terrain. Yeah, I remember actually standing at the at the edge of that um, at the end of that stage or uh, we'd, we'd been waiting for you there and we drove off just as you came out and it was so much excitement in the team and everybody was um, was so positive about it and then obviously um, things changed for you a little bit after that and um, you know it's not something that, that that we want to talk about so much but I think everybody wants to know how are you doing and how's your health yeah obviously we um, looking up now we you know I feel a lot better Look, we've obviously gone through a, a big spell and it's um, it's something to just look forward on and um, see if we can get back into the seat or doing something in motorsport that uh, I enjoy. You know, it's hard to sit back and watch everything and, you know, obviously sitting back at home this year is going to be terrible. But, you know, the team, have, it's a great team. You know, I still spend a lot of time with the guys and, um Definitely one of the strongest teams that I've worked with. 
Well, um, it's it's lovely to be able to speak to you about the team, and and as much as we we miss you very much here, it is it's very nice to get your input on it, and then maybe that's something we can talk about a little bit. Your your prediction for the race? I mean, the the, the car seems very good as an outsider, as a, as a non racing driver. It seems really really good, um, probably be the best that it's ever been, um, and and obviously the the competition's changed a lot. There's no um, factory Peugeots in the race this year. Uh, the mini is a little bit of a dark horse, but but how do you see the chips falling if you have to uh, if you have to uh, take a small guess at this point? Look, I think the guess is you know you always want to support your your team, but it's definitely the hundred percent is the Toyota looks like the best out there. Um, they've done a lot of mileage this year. They've used the same car in the local series, yeah, and really ironed out all the little niggles they've had compared to last year's that car. So I really do believe they've got a, a good car. NASA's driven the same car in the World Cup and um, developed it there as well. So I think he's, they're all within, you know, they know the car well. And I think the strongest guy, we have to say, is probably NASA. That's his type of terrain. And, um, you know, I think, you look, you can't take the, the minis away, but we're all not sure. And I read something about Carlos the other day saying that he's not sure about the reliability of the Mini yet. So I think it's going to be a difficult race for them. Yeah, I think so too. Um, one of the things that has changed is that the um, the restrictor size has been changed yet again now that the race is run mainly at sea level. So so the Toyotas, for the listeners who don't know, have lost one millimeter in restrictor size, which equates to about 5% of performance whereas the minis have gained a, a millimeter in relation. So that, that gives them a bit of a performance edge. And do you think that might uh, play a key role, Leroy? Yeah, definitely it will. You know, it was unlucky for for the guys or for Glenn to, to lose the millimeter in the stri- restrictor size. But I know he's been working hard and um, they've made the engine better with quite a lot of changes now. Um but yes, he obviously would have liked to have kept it, uh, especially when you climb in dunes. It's it's not difficult. Or it is difficult when you've got less power. You know, I think um, we're talking about the differences in, in, in the two cars and the, and the Hilux and the Mini and so on. Just for the guys who don't know, what are the main differences? People might think that, okay, it's sand, it's dunes, and our cars are four-wheel drive and the Mini is only two-wheel drive, so we, we, we have this huge advantage, but it's not quite the case. Uh, just uh, for the ones who don't know, just quickly give us the, the rundown on the, what the differences are. Well, I think the biggest thing is between the two cars, uh, one's a four-wheel drive and one's a two-wheel drive. Um, and then the the two-wheel drive car is allowed a lot more, um, you know, suspension travel. The cars, I think it's two, two, 200 kilos lighter. The um, It's got air deflation on board the car. So when you approach a dune, you can deflate the tires, which makes it easier to climb a dune. Um, and basically, the four-wheel drive is is good, but you, if you climb a dune, you get stuck. You got, basically get out the car, let the tires down. Once you're over the dune, pump the tires. So it's got its, its ups and downs, you know. And I do believe this this race, the four-wheel drive, is, is probably the better car to go with. Um, I don't know how rough the terrain is. Uh, if it's really tr- tough in the camel grass, then the two-wheel drive becomes a, a better car. But, you know, obviously between the two cars, one's a Viet and a petrol engine, and then the other is a diesel engine, so a turbo engine. So it's 
that's quite a big difference between the two of them. Leroy, we're going to wrap up soon and let you get back to sleep over in South Africa. It is a, a Monday after all. You've got to get back to work. Uh, but just looking back, I know it's, it's a word that we use often when we speak about the Dakar rally is, is tough. Um, from, from your Dakar memories, the highlight of your experiences in South America and also the, the scariest moment that, that you've had uh, competing in the Dakar. Sure. I think probably the scariest is your first one. <laughs> um, you're not expecting what is coming. Um, but uh, yeah, probably the, the most exciting is when, you, when you're in the top five, it's, it's really uh, it's the highlight of your life. You know you, you know you can do this. And each year you seem to get better and better, which that's um, what, was, what was going on for us. You, know, you just get more experienced and uh, it comes to you, the event. And just on that note, you you competed alongside Rob Howie, who's actually uh, over here in South America from a, a managerial point of view. Um, but, I mean, we keep on mentioning about the fact that the relationship between a driver and his navigator needs to be extremely strong. I mean, you and Rob, you've remained friends uh, throughout. Uh, do you still keep in touch? And, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how was it working alongside him? Yeah, look, we do definitely keep in touch. As I said, I spend a lot of time at the shop store. Um, you know, I always say it is almost like a, like a wife, you know, that you have on an event like this. You know, you spend 14 days together side by side and um, you obviously have to talk to each other. Otherwise, it's very quiet in the car. So you, you get to learn a lot about each other and um, a lot of things that you keep quiet about. Um, but it's it's good fun. and. You know he's a he's a really good guy, and it's really unfortunate that he's not on the event still. Yeah, and I tell you Racing, what, it, I mean. it's also very unfortunate that uh, you're not here, as uh, we've mentioned on numerous occasions. Uh, and really, really sorry that you aren't, but really glad that you are following the race as a true trooper back in South Africa, and uh, as you said, uh, supporting the Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa team uh, completely and utterly. Uh, Leroy. Thank you so much for joining us. I know the, the other guys uh, have a few uh, goodbyes to say, but uh, from my side, thanks so much, man. I really, really appreciate it and hope to see you up this side again, uh, hopefully in a year's time. Uh, Leroy, no, just, thanks very much. Nice to chat. <laughs> just a quick one from my side. I think um, there's lots of people here that know the history of the Hilux and know where it's come from. And um, as much as uh, you aren't here, there's definitely uh, lots of your input that's part of that car. And um, if it does well on this race, we all know that you've had some part to play in it. Okay, great, thanks. I did a lot of work with Clint, so it's, uh, it's actually a big uh, goal to see it win the race. Thanks so much, uh, Leroy Palter. Really, really great hearing from him uh, over in Johannesburg, South Africa. Going back to sleep, but uh, he will be wide awake a little later uh, as we look towards uh, Dakar Rally 2019. Gents, excited? Absolutely. Uh, let's just get it on now. It's only 80-odd kilometers tomorrow, but 80 kilometers in the dunes can mean a lot of things. So uh, I think by tomorrow night we'll already uh, be surprised by one or two results. I can't wait for the flag to drop. And it's really nice from our side because uh, as far as liaisons are concerned, I mean, we won't be doing too much traveling uh, from a media perspective. Uh, in the past, we've done plenty but uh, this time around, not so much. Hannes Fisser, who's our driver throughout uh, South America, 
Uh, you must be a relieved man. Well, every Dakar is different. In the past, we've covered as much as 11,000 kilometers in two, in two weeks. Uh, last year was a little bit less. Um, but, you know, 800 or 900 kilometers a day in Bolivia could have taken 15, 16 hours because you can only do 80 k's, an hour, uh, 80 k's an hour. This year is definitely easier for us. We've got less distance to travel. And it's all only in Peru. So, yeah, maybe three or 4,000 kilometers as opposed to 10 or 12,000 kilometers does make it a little bit easier. Uh, interesting, Lars. Chatting to Michael Jodim, who is uh, one of the techies uh, for the Tradig Zoo Racing South Africa side, and he was saying... He's an engineer, I'll let you know. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, he was chatting to me yesterday regarding the total amount of work done. If they calculate hours of driving, apparently it's only two hours less than last year's, yet we've lost, what, 45 days? Yeah, four days less um, on, the, on the race itself. But I don't think that you can say it's fewer days or shorter kilometers. It's all about the mix of sand. And in this case, it's pretty much just dunes. That takes its soul. For them, it's ours behind the wheel. And the average speed in the dunes are a lot slower than, than through an open rally stage, whatever, where they could clock 170, 180 k's an hour. So uh, 300 kilometers on the in the dunes could now take six or seven hours because they're only doing 50 or 60 k's an hour average. Uh, and that's very tough on the cars. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Uh, Dakar Rally 2019 is upon a stage one about to get underway if you're listening to this in south africa you're just a few hours away race day one in south america enjoy thanks for listening to inside the game brought to you by radar media